welcome to Fitspeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. Fitspeak, the podcast, is available on Podbean, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and our website, which is www.fitspeak.com. Bonus, we're also alive and kicking it on Instagram. Kevin Watt and myself serve up a tasty dish of motivation and inspiration through that picture-sharing platform. Check it out. Tell us what you think. We are at Fitspeak. And we're also Facebook-friendly. We've got easy-to-digest content there, plus some endurance sports discussions when you use that Facebook app on your phone, laptop, or your tablet. Fitspeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission, and here is your Wenting's Word of the Week. It is Scott. Mention that word to Bruce or any staff member at Wentings and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wentings Word of the Week is Scott. And we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the start of the Christmas season and those mega calories just around the corner, it's easy to get off track. TriJoy can help. We'll get you working on a structured training plan that'll burn calories and keep you motivated through Christmas and New Year's. And when the holiday season is over, you'll be fit, not fat. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page. On the program today, with the dark season all around us, Abbotsford Triathlon coach Mikey Ross shares some indoor cycling tips on his top five list. And speaking of cycling, we have one of the most formidable cyclists in all of long-distance triathlon today. From Vancouver, we talk cello, Diamondback, Challenge Daytona, and rivalries in female triathlon. Rachel McBride is our guest. 45 minutes of Dr. Bonnie Henry-approved podcasting begins right now. It is a typical November day out here on the west coast of Canada. Cloudy, rainy, but warm, about plus eight degrees, and a heavy wind advisory coming up for us in the lower mainland later in the day. But I heard that Florida in December is supposed to be pretty nice. Welcome back to Fitspeak, Rachel McBride. Oh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Rachel, not only one of the fastest cyclists, period, at the 70.3 in Ironman distances, Rachel is also one of the Canadians selected to head down to Florida, sunny, warm Florida, for the $1.5 million Professional Triathletes Organization World Championships. $1.5 million triathlon, same sentence, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest prize purse uh, ever in the history of our sport. So it's pretty exciting to be heading down to uh, to try and get as much of a piece of it as I can. Absolutely. So when did you find out you were going down there and how did that impact your training? Um, I found out probably, um, I would say about a month ago, I feel um that i would be racing and uh you know it really it's all it's really just gave me a focus so it's now put me into really more structured training uh through um the past several months i've been doing a lot of training um but it hasn't been as super structured as as usual just because you know of course there haven't been any big races on the on the horizon 
um, you know, I did hang, hang uh, head down, head over to the Canadian pro triathlon champs, um, the Jackson Laundry and Taylor Reed, uh, rocked in September. Um, and, uh, so I had that kind of short, short course fitness and now we're, you know, gearing back up for a bit of a half iron ish distance. I am any anytime of course being a Canadian podcast we're all kind of glued to the television or the you know the YouTube watching Sanders do his crazy stuff um were you uh doing any stuff down in Burnaby at the velodrome no no <laughs> I uh I, I don't ride the track I don't I don't like going around in tiny little circles I like going up into the mountains <laughs> uh-huh. And obviously, being one of the the strongest cyclists, period, in our sport, and you certainly proved that at the Canadian Professional Championships and lapping the field and crushing pretty much all the field, men included. So obviously, your your training schedule works. Uh, let's go back to Florida. So of course, COVID nineteen things aren't getting any better here in British Columbia, and you know certainly in the United States. So. Um, in your planning for your trip down there, any logistical nightmares that you have to contend with? Well, I mean, there it it does feel like a risk to go down there, and I'm I'm the only reason why I feel comfortable going down to this race specifically is because it will be on a closed course where they are screening folks into the Daytona International Speedway there. Um, they are requiring us to get COVID testing beforehand when we get down there. Um, and so it feels like it is a lot more, um, controlled in that sense and Mm -hmm. that we're out, not all going to be out and about in public, um, racing the, you know, logistical nightmares It's you know, flights canceled the last minute. And so they, I get rerouted through a different one and which means I need to, you know, change my bookings on on the arrival end and that sort of thing but it's really hasn't been that that much of a big deal yeah. um i'm all all set with my face shield and my uh, mm-hmm. all my face masks so uh, i will be traveling as safely as i can down there masks are going to be on fingers are going to be crossed and all those safety precautions yeah. in place so um yeah hoping uh best of success to get down there to the start line now um a lot of canadians have been doing some very cool things of course we had our olympic team sidelined uh for tokyo in 2020 and they're putting in the time in the pool wherever they can to to get back to the start line for next year but a lot of the long course triathletes have been very very inventive and one of the neat things that you were doing at just kind of uh, went crazy on the internet is this um, video that you did along with one of your sponsors Diamondback Bicycles. So we're just going to play a couple of seconds, a bit of, well actually about a minute of a clip and then we'll talk talk about it, okay? Absolutely. This is when people start to retire, they tell you that you start to slow down, and it's like, I'm not slowing down. First question, was that you on the cello? It absolutely was me on the cello. So I got to uh, 
head out into the North Shore woods on Seymour here and uh, play a little cello in some old growth forest. It was pretty amazing. And the audio, uh, one of the things, and this is an audio podcast, but uh, what I was going to tell our listeners is, um, sure, it's a great uh, visual presentation, but the sound quality and the, the texture of the sounds makes this a real delight for not only your eyes, but your ears. So we, we immediately are like tuned in and hell, this is you actually playing the music. So was this something that you composed or for those non-musical types um what's the piece yeah so um basically mike hawkins who created this um and was the mastermind behind it sent me some examples of music that he was thinking and i really just i you know this one really stood out and i basically just jammed over it Mm. and so it's not really that composed you know i worked on it and worked on my improv over top of it but really in the moment like it's all every single take was different and so um you know he just kind of pieced together some of the best moments out of all that jamming yeah it's it's definitely ear candy let's give this another listen there's no way like i am still chasing that dream i'm still getting faster i know i can still go faster and nobody can define what I'm capable of just because of the number of times I've been around the sun. Okay, you're a youngster at 42 now? Uh, yeah, indeed. And, and one of the exciting yeah. things um, in starting the sport a little bit later on in our lives, I started when I was 30, but there's still the ability. I mean, you know, we see ourselves as relative newcomers to this sport, but you recently set a personal best for a half marathon. I did. That's yep, not really I supposed to happen it. at 42, is it? Well, I am proving otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I really don't believe that I need to judge myself based on what I should be doing at in my 40s. You know, personally, I see myself getting stronger and faster, which is super exciting, and um, and really maintaining my competitive edge in this really amazing uh, world-class field that we have. And so, you know, I really hope to be inspiring other folks who, you know, in their 40s or even 50s and 60s that, like, you can still do it. You may, you know, maybe in your 50s and 60s, you're not necessarily going to be getting faster if you've been a lifelong athlete, but uh-huh. it's still possible. You know, those stories of folks who are um, in in later decades who are starting to travel on for the first time it's just incredibly inspiring and so i really take a lot of um you know honestly inspiration from them absolutely and one of the things i mean most people you know who get into the sport we've all I shouldn't say all, but most of us have run at some some time in our life. But for these folks that uh, a lot of people like to call adult onset swimmers, folks who are kind of new to it. I mean, sure, we paddled around perhaps the lake as kids, but who have actually, you know, gone into the swimming pool and, you know, started swimming 50s or 100 meter repeats, um, you know, because technique is such a huge part of, of becoming a better swimmer, the opportunities for improvement, you know, are are darn near limitless that's really true and i think that is absolutely one of the biggest challenges for folks who come into triathlon of the um who haven't spent their youth swimming Mm -hmm. um and who are yeah the adult onset swimmers absolutely it is the biggest challenge by far because it is so technique based um however you know the same i i swam until i was 11 so i had a good feel for the water but 
you know, I had this incredible breakthrough after 10 years, like being relentless mm. in trying to swim faster. And 10 years into it, I went from a middle of the pack swimmer to like coming out of the water first with a two and a half minute lead of Ironman Canada, which, you know, never in my life would I have even, you know, grasped that I could accomplish that. And it just goes to show that that perseverance and um, that consistency and having the right swim program really makes a big difference and can really change things. Yep. So we're not limited by our age. We're not limited by our genetic potential it's it's got a lot to do with uh our work ethic and our attitude let's go back to the video for just a sec when i first became a high performance athlete i was an adult i had not grown up as an athlete i had not spent my 20s as most normal elite athletes do shooting for the Olympics and retiring in their 30s. That's when I started. I still remember my first triathlon and like coming out of the swim and onto the bike and I had this massive grin on my face. I'd never done this before and you know I had trained so hard for it and it was just this feeling of pure joy absolutely you, you encapsulated it so cool there pure joy and coming from a non-swimming background i mean the first time i had gotten out of the water in a triathlon it's like it's over it's over and <laughs> damn it i did it so yeah i think you nailed the, you know you hit the nail on the head with that and uh for the folks who haven't seen the video we'll post a link on our uh fitspeak website because that's uh the, the smile on your face that was probably what you looked like when you got out of the water for your very first triathlon. Absolutely, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, I still absolutely remember that moment, and that was now, you know, almost 14 years ago. Yeah, it's a, it's a feeling I will never, ever forget, and I still, you know, really experience in a lot of races that I do. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to push across the country is I'm a strong, I'm, I'm not a great swimmer, so I'm a strong advocate for the sport of duathlon. But that being said, there's nothing like coming out of the water and jumping on your bike. That's, that's just a very special part of, of multi-sport. Yeah. And I think for me, what, what that was about too is like, I going into my first race, I had so much trepidation about transitions mm. because it's like I knew how to swim, I knew how to bike, I knew how to run, but it was like getting from one to the next. And so, you know, I even I did I had the worst transition in that race because I think I I come out of the water and needed to put on a long sleeve shirt, and so on a wet body tried to like put on this long sleeve shirt that took forever. Um, but it was pretty chilly. So I was glad that I had it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, uh, I, I just, you know, once I started pedaling my bike and, and got out there, it's just like, oh my goodness, I, I did it. I accomplished mm -hmm. it. This is going to work out. Yeah. So very cool. Very, very inspirational. Any plans for uh, uh, a sequel to Relentless uh, as far as a uh, uh, next video? Oh gosh, you know, I... We, you know, Mike and I really, um, we had, took a lot of footage. It was five days of filming. We had a lot of uh, really sort of bigger plans for this. And I mean, hopefully we can use, we can do something more. Um, I am 
working with another um, local, two local filmmakers here in Vancouver who have put in a grant through the Vancouver Story Hive. Um, and we're looking to hopefully get that grant in, in January and do a longer film. So that, yeah, I, hopefully there will be more opportunities. Yeah, visually pleasing and, and, and a total local production. I'm looking at those trees. I mean, I'm here in Mission. We've got hills and mountains and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that looks like home. And it's, it's a home that probably the rest of Canada on a day like today would probably be very envious of. Yeah, yeah. You know, we did all the filming in uh, in Rockland, BC, actually. Oh, really? Um, aside from uh, yeah, aside from the uh, the cello shoot, which was uh, on Seymour, as I said. But um, you know, I I really fell in love with Rockland. Mm-hmm. Just the community and the scenery there, the opportunities, the trails. It was really pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. But of course, Rossland in November, December, and January is a, a, yeah. a winter wonderland, famous for skiing. Yeah. I think we had one of our most famous Canadian athletes uh, in Nancy Green come out of there. But um, yeah, that's not the place you're going to be doing your swimming or at least um, you know your road biking for you know yeah. a f- couple of months of the year. Um, no, that's very true. Yeah, and actually, the uh, the swimming there in the film was done in Nancy Green Provincial Park. Okay, there's our Canadian connection. Let's go from Canada mm-hmm. to New Zealand, and you were one of the fortunate people enough to actually race this year in Ironman. So not necessarily a question just more of a comment maybe so in iron uh iron man new zealand back in the spring um your time nine hours ten minutes right yeah, I, I believe so. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember my time exactly. Okay, here's here's some stats, and here's here's the background on it. So you went nine hours, ten minutes. You were just off the podium. You came in fourth place. So I was doing yeah. some looking around that same time back in the year two thousand. So a few years back, you would have beaten the winner, who was a Canadian, Lisa Bentley. You would have beaten Lisa by twenty minutes. <laughs> what, what does that tell us about the quality of the field in in female triathlon nowadays yeah i mean it's just they're really just pushing the the limits higher and higher it's very it's very inspiring and you know it's not to um not to take away from those accomplishments of folks like lisa who really paved the way in this sport i mean she is still you know she's a Canadian legend Mm -hmm. and um, I am so grateful that she's also my run coach. Um, And uh, yeah, just an incredible person and still, you know, the the runs that she would do off the bike were pretty, pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Run her way into the field, uh, whether it was at Ironman Canada or of course at Kona where she had um, all the success you could have without winning the actual event. So let's go back into the training. Oh, uh, the last time we talked to you, you were just um, getting ready to do Kona for the very first time. And of course, the world has changed since then. Uh, Like I was saying, you had the opportunity to race in New Zealand and have a pretty solid performance, getting your ticket punch to go to Kona. 2020, which of course never happened. How have you been spending your time since since then? Um, you know, with COVID, you're, we're kind of in a no person's land as far as training. Um, what have you been doing? Um, I mean, really, I have been, once we were allowed to, um, you know, initially, of course, there was the pretty, pretty big shutdowns here in the province. And then once things opened up a bit, you know, I have been exploring our province. Um, and I have had and been riding a bunch of gravel uh, in and around BC and just really appreciating 
this place that I live. I don't think that, I think that what this, uh, this year has given me is really a love of British Columbia and such a gratitude that I call this place home. Now, there's a lot of times uh, we've seen you and you've been doing some posts of you on your gravel bike, this this new best friend of yours. Have you ever had a flat tire on it yet? On this bike specifically, no. And I've probably put about 2,000 kilometers on okay. it already. Knock on wood. Um, have I? I've definitely had like a couple of flats. I know in a race even oh. within the first 15 minutes I had a flat, but it was when I was still running tubes. Mm. uh and my tires and now i run tubeless and it's been a game changer okay yeah i'm thinking about getting one of these uh new cervello caledonias i know you're a diamond backer and our good friend nathan killam is riding a ventum but i'm just i buy this thing i'm out in the bush somewhere and i get a flat and i go what the hell am i supposed to do with this uh, tubes yeah I can, I can do tubes i've got the you know broken fingers and crappy fingernails to prove it but uh the tubeless <laughs> things gonna it's gonna be a bit of a, a learning curve for me um any epic well, adventures over the summertime you've been hitting the trails um do anything nutty yeah. well yeah i mean i um my uh, spouse and i went for a week into the rockies riding uh, a bunch of gravel there um which was incredible just absolutely beautiful and uh then about a month later we spent a week and made it all the way as far north as bella Coola. Mm. um and you know i can honestly say that i don't know in other, any other context when i would in my life be able to go and see bella Coola. and so that was a, a pretty awesome experience we actually um we spent several uh, days in Tatla Lake, which is a small town with zero cell service, mm. uh, just uh, about 230 kilometers uh, east of Bella Coola on the highway. And so our trip to Bella Coola, we basically jumped on our bikes with a little bit of gear, small backpack, rode the 230K wow. into Bella Coola, stayed, the, stayed two nights there, had a rest day and explored the town a bit in the rain and then uh, mm. rode back the 235k mm. it was awesome it yeah. was awesome any uh typical canadian encounters with the wildlife you know surprisingly not we were really hoping that we were going to see some grizzlies even in our you know the trip to the rockies the mm. only time we really saw wildlife was on that when we were driving on the highway mm. and i mean i guess i i wouldn't really necessarily want to run into a grizzly on my gravel bike yeah <laughs> That's probably a good a good Good idea. I mean, if any Canadian wants to experience what um, a grizzly bear encounters like, all they have to do is sign up for Ironman Whistler and do the run course. I mean, there's a high, <laughs> yeah, back back when we had Whistler and you, you kick some butt over there. Um, let's, yeah. let's look back. You've been in the sport now for about a decade. Um, any races that you kind of look back at and go, darn it, I wish I would have done things differently or that was just some pretty pretty crappy luck well i mean the the biggest experience that i had with with things going wrong would be um last year uh in france and then lanzarote so my first race of the year was um uh aix-en-provence the 70.3 there in france and i ended up crashing very badly on the uh, right in the beginning of the bike course mm -hmm. and uh, really damaged my arm quite a bit. However, 
uh, two weeks later, I was slated to race Ironman Lanzarote. Um, mm. And I was already in Europe. I already had everything booked. And I knew how quickly the body could heal. So I'm like, well, let's just go to Lanzarote and, and see where I end up in two weeks. And, you know, honestly, it was probably one of the most difficult two weeks of my life. Uh, everything went wrong in well, a lot of ways. Like there were just like so many challenges. Physical um, ones or it, beyond that? Beyond that even, it was like, you know, um, for example, gosh, it's like a long laundry list of things. So I had to, in France, I couldn't, my arm was so damaged and I was in so much pain that I couldn't pack my bike myself. So I thankfully had um, another pro woman friend um, pack it for me. Um, however, and my flight was at, uh, I think six in the morning or something. So I had to be up at about four, uh, 11 PM that night. I realized that I had left my run shoes yeah. and my, with my orthotics oh. in transition. Yeah. And of course there was no way I was going to be able to get them then. And they would have to send them to Lanzarote, which is an literally, you know, it's sure it's Spain, but it's an Island off the coast of yeah. Africa. Oh. <laughs> um, so I had to get those shoes shipped and it was like, you know, it was shipped with a French uh, shipping company and I couldn't, I didn't have a tracking number and there were customs issues. No. And so I, I had people calling and yeah, just like, it, it was like every day it just felt like there was something mm. not going right. Oh, and then I, another big thing was my bike was broken, of course. So I had, <laughs> when I got to Lanzarote, I gave it to, I was staying in a wonderful place, uh, the Sands uh, Beach Resort there, and I gave it to one of the um, the concierge folks there and said, could you please take this into a, this, this specific bike shop for me to get repaired? Uh -huh. And they said, yes, of course, of course. And so they took it to the bike shop. And I then was, you know, a couple of days later, oh, I got a call from them to confirm the damage and the repairs and then I called the shop back and was like, oh, you know, I'm, is my bike ready? And they're like, well, we don't have your bike. Oh. And I was like, but I, you know, I talked to you and like, you, yeah. and it was only, that turned out that the folk, the people had taken it to a different bike shop. And the only way that I found where my bike was is that somebody at that shop posted, posted a picture of my bike on social media Whoa. and the people at the original shop said, oh, I you know from the description i've seen that bike i think it's at this shop oh man and i was just like it's like my body you know uh, it, you know when you don't speak the language and you don't know the the lay of the land and you're depending on others to help you out things can definitely go a little bit awry but you know i made it to that start line i didn't have the greatest race i was riding on a road bike because i couldn't actually put my arms in the 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 aero bars uh -huh. so i was like i may as well just ride a road bike and yeah. it was a significant disadvantage and yeah it was just a whole lot of stress to get and it was really i was in the best shape of my life oh. honestly leading up until that race and uh, and had really high hopes to um to try and take the win but i mean you know, that's, the, that's I, the sort of course that would really suit your strengths just a a tough mother yeah. of a course some wind relentless climbing exactly mm. exactly and so i was really excited to take that on um and i think that you know the majority of people in my shoes would have just gone home after that race in france and just been like nope 
you know, will re- re- heal up and reboot for yeah. something else. But I, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. I didn't know when I would be able to get back to Lanzarote. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, let's see what we can do after, you know, persevering through all of these <laughs> challenges. Then it's a story, you know, it's this, uh, for, you know, relentless story. Do you know if the French have a word for shit show? <laughs> okay, so that's that's the tragic side. Uh, things didn't yeah. quite fall into place. Uh, another race now that you can look back and go, "Damn it, that was that was me at my best," or the triathlon gods were smiling on me that day. You know, one of my best races and one of my favorite races was, um, I think it was uh, 2012, and I raced. Um, or 2013, yeah, 2013, I think I raced Muskoka 70.3. And not only is that an amazing course, another, another really tough bike course, mm. um, but I ended up, um, uh, it was, Marinda Carfrey would all, always show up at that race because she, it was a good timing before Kona, um, and she really liked the run course that it really felt like Kona for her in a lot of ways. And so, um, I was racing Rennie, and I held Rennie off mm. until 13 kilometers into the run. I was so proud of myself, mm. um, and of course, she whizzed by me on on the run. But it was probably one of the best performances career. Um, and to you know, she went on to win Kona that year, yeah. and so to be so close on that on that podium, it was with her was really really awesome. You know, sweet satisfaction knowing that your run today is probably significantly stronger than when you uh, almost held off any of those few years ago. Yeah, 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 it's pretty cool. So one of the things that the, the PTO is doing, and I would say fairly successfully, is they're promoting the pros in the sport. Um, equally male, equally female. Here's one of the things, one of the things that, you know, from a, from a fan, from a spectator's point of view, uh, to watch about any sport is the rivalries within the sport. So a few years back, we had this thing between, you know, it was Chris McCormack and, and darn near everybody, but especially uh, Norman <laughs> Stadler. And back in, you know, the age of the big three, we had Dave Scott versus Mark Allen. Not so much on the female side. I mean, there was this animosity between Aaron Baker from New Zealand and Paula Newby Fraser from, you know, through uh, Zimbabwe. But uh, that's about it. Has that changed? Do we have any, you know, interesting rivalries on the female side as far as long course goes? Well, I mean, I feel like you, you know, there seems to be, there's like the, the Daniela Reef and Lucy Charles and Sarah Crowley, like those folks that are so, that are quite, you know, close together who you really enjoy seeing them show up at a start line because you really want to see what, what's going to be in the mix. I think that, you know, truly for the female fee, uh, field, it's the dynamic is a little bit different in that, um, you know, historically it's been, it's been okay for guys to, be like you know have that rivalry and shit talk each other but um but for the other side you know it's seen as different it's like oh that person is bitchy or like 
it's see it's seen in a different light and it's not so accepted mm. in a lot of ways yeah and i think as we see uh, like the dynamics change um and our perception of like how female athletes are supposed to act um change that you you may see you know a little bit more of that that shit talking happening yeah. be- between different athletes i also I really value, um, I know it's exciting for spectators Mm -hmm. to have those rivalries and like maybe the like negative feelings towards each other. But honestly, like the one thing that I have really learned from sport is like how awesome it is to race against your friends and how Mm -hmm. awesome it is to like be supportive of each other and like encourage each other. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to this podcast actually on, um, I forget her name, but she is like she's a monster truck driver. Oh wow! Um, she's based at, she's based in Quebec, and she was really talking about the same thing of like you know this camaraderie that that there is within the monster truck community. Huh. That sure they're competing against each other, but they're really like encouraging each other and like getting each other tips mm-hmm. and this sort of thing. And you know, it really it makes it a little bit more pleasant, I think, to be to be in the yeah taking taking the high road is always you know i mean in reality that's where we want to be but maybe maybe the pto needs to take a a page out of the roller derby scrapbook and 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 try that but all the same yeah you're racing with these people they're more your colleagues than than your certainly than your enemies so um you know for whatever that's worth i was just gonna say but you know like even i am really entertained by like the lionel sanders and cam wolf yeah. stuff and you know sam long and you know it is it is pretty fun to to watch that and and if you know that it's in good you know in in like in just jest and not super serious then then it's fun and when it gets really mean and dirty then and it really starts to annoy folks then yeah. i don't think that's fun well we're gonna have to find some rivalries for you out there who you know it, 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 could, it, it could be it could be fun it could be good um and, yeah. and boys talk about smack talking i think uh, you you could certainly hold your own speaking of holding your own <laughs> Um, not only are you one heck of a long distance triathlete, you've got a, a wide repertoire of racing skills. So here we go. Ironman 70.3 Canadian national championship race, Red Bull 400 beer mile. So with those different distances and those sorts of disciplines of, I'll put in quotes, sport, which is the most painful? Oh gosh. Um, you know, it, the shorter the race, the more painful it is, I think. Mm. And um, Red Bull 400 is probably hands down one of the most painful things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. The beer mile comes a close <laughs> second because it's pretty uncomfortable when you hit that third and fourth lap. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, every every year that I go back to Red Bull 400 and, and do my first qualifying round, I'm yeah. like, oh, why why do I do this? This, mm. this is so horrible um best thing about being a professional triathlete in a non-covid year you know setting my own schedule and being able to travel the world um i really yeah just being able to see so much of the world is i really feel so grateful um for that and um yeah i i like not having to you know have a nine to five job and go to the same place every day mm-hmm. um Unless it's the pool, you know, Kit's pool here. Yeah, awesome. that's, that's I, magic. I go there every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worst thing about being a professional triathlete in a non-COVID year? 
Well, you know, it's probably super relatable to to COVID as, as well is like not not being able to really have a social life in a lot of ways. Um, being a professional athlete is a 24-7 job and it never really ends. And there's always something that you should be doing and it's always about energy management. And so, you know, I have, I think I have, I have so many interests. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of sport and it's been really tough in a lot of ways to have to put a lot of that by the wayside whether it's like going to see my favorite bands or like going out dancing that kind of thing it, um, even you know going and hanging out with friends um, in public it, it's uh, the, my time is really limited just because it takes so much energy out of me and I really have I have to save my energy for training and racing yeah it's it's the priority so you're saying a lot of you know, you're saying no to a lot of the things that uh, people yeah. at your stage in life are are indulging in. I mean, similar sort of thing when you, you know, I went back to Simon Fraser and got my master's degree at 40. It's like, okay, so for the next three years of my life, I'm going to be saying no to a lot of things I ordinarily would say yes to. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's part of the sacrifice. But then at the end of it all, you you know you you don't have a whole lot of regrets, and uh, you know you've got a wonderful uh, you know degree or uh, a career behind you that you can reflect on with pride for for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I yeah, school is absolutely the same thing. I remember that from all of my degrees that I have yeah. done. It, it's very much the same thing of like it it never ends. Like at night, you could still be studying. You still could be reading papers. You mm-hmm. writing papers. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 the treadmill, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, and you know, doing yeah. it, and you're engaged in it, um, you know, and that happens with uh, the proper mentors, peer support. It's kind of like a little tribe. Some people would say a cult. <laughs> What's a workout that you you continue doing even though you don't really enjoy it, or are you one of these people who sees every workout as just fun as heck? Oh, no, there are definitely, um, you know, recently I've been doing a lot of anaerobic work and that ana- those short, hard intervals, um, you know, Lisa has me doing uh, like 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off. So really hard intervals with very short rest and you really feel like puking by mm. the end of that. I'll do the same thing on the bike as 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off and I hate it. I absolutely hate it, but it makes you stronger, so yeah. you got to do it. Yeah, puke intervals. That's, you know, we've we've been doing those for a long time, whether it's on the bike. Uh, it's easier in the pool because then it kind of just dissolves in. Ne- never mind. Um, <laughs> so he- here's a weird question. Some people answer it. Some people don't. What is a question that you would have liked to have been asked, but you've never been asked? You know that's a tough one. I am I. Um, I I really enjoy interviewers' creativity, and so I feel like someone else probably has a much. But you know, I feel like other people have a better perspective of like what they want, that what they're interested to know about me, and what is interesting. I'm going to pitch another one. You can say thumbs down to it, but I I like to offer okay. it. Um, it's called the soapbox. And I, I think you kind of know where I'm going. And this is always, it tends to be, and I'll tell you the truth, it tends to be more fun with race directors because race directors tend to have a lot of stuff on their chest that they like to unload. So they love that question. But uh, as as a pro triathlete, non-binary triathlete, um, 
your soapbox. Anything you want to tell us? Well, yeah, I mean, I am a really, I'm a huge advocate for inclusion and diversity in sport. And I think that from the very beginning, this really has been one of my, you know, soapbox messages is to try and I want to be able to live an authentic life and to be able to live that authentic life comfortably in sport and would, I hope to encourage other people to do the same. And the more that we see, um, you know, diversity showing up in sport and where we see um, race directors and, uh, you know, sport companies uh, showing up to include those folks. Um, and take an active, a proactive role in encouraging people of color, um, people of different genders, to uh, and women to especially to um, to you know do especially long distance triathlon. I think um, you know we're going to make the world a better place, and it's going to be a lot more fun, um, funner than it already is in triathlon. Funner and certainly one hell of a lot more colorful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Rach, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. That was a that was a fun forty five minutes. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah. Best of luck when you uh, hit the start line there in Daytona. Nothing but success, and uh, let's keep all our fingers crossed for uh, some sort of race season for twenty twenty one. Yeah, absolutely. 2021, please. <laughs> Bring it on. Yes. I'm Mikey Ross, coach with Abbotsford Triathlon Club, and this is my top five list for FitSpeak number 117, Indoor Cycling Tips. Now that winter is winding its way throughout the Northern Hemisphere, Many of us, with a lack of tolerance for frostbit fingers and tingling toes, head indoors for the bulk of our bike training. Here are five tips for making this move indoors as seamless and motivating as possible. Tip number one, tune up, or even update, your bike and trainer. If your bike needs a new chain, a detailed cleaning, or a seat adjustment, do it now. You'll be spending a lot of time in that saddle, so be sure you've tightened every bolt necessary so that you don't snap, crackle, and pop right onto your bike trainer, as I did recently. As for the trainer, whether it be a so-called dumb or smart trainer, now is the time to ensure it's working efficiently. If you've lost the manual or the paperwork that came with your trainer, it's super easy to go online and track down the necessary information in a flash. Find out what parts are recommended for cleaning and lubrication, and especially what materials are recommended to clean them with. Just because you have a huge tub of Vaseline or butt butter handy doesn't mean it should be used on your bike and your butt. Tip number two, have everything possible organized within easy reach. If you use one of the many awesome online training programs, you don't want to be interrupted because you forgot a sweat catching towel or your nutrition and hydration is tucked away in another room. I'm fortunate to have a mini man cave with dedicated shelf space surrounding me. I use an iPhone, iPad and smart TV and I have all the bits and pieces in one place, including the TV converters, the Bluetooth heart rate monitor and spare batteries just in case. My bike shoes are pre-mounted, even my race suit hangs over the saddle. Everything possible is ready to go. 
Within one minute, I can take advantage of a precious window of opportunity to set up, get on, and ride, ride, ride. Tip number three, pause the plan for a week. If you use one of the excellent virtual ride programs such as Ruby, Training Peaks, or Zwift, give yourself a week to just play. Because indoor training has as much potential as outdoor training for going astray due to riding too hard, too long, or too often, why not set aside your training plan and focus on fun only and call it your training transition week? Join a casual group ride, try out a stay together ride, or set out a solo route that you've never done because it was too long, too short, or too much elevation. I'm riding currently with a couple of low intensity groups that match where I am right now in my fitness. Because my effort is lower, I'm able to increase my duration without concern for injury or fatigue. Tip number four, indoor bricks. Bricks, whether indoor or outdoor, give you an incredible bang for your buck, both in motivation and fitness. A brick is simply two different sport workouts done one after the other. If you have a treadmill, set it up, have it plugged in, turned on, and ready to roll as soon as you bounce off the bike. A brick every once a week or two is all you need. In a future top five, I'll be offering five awesome brick workouts you can try. Bricking is brilliant. And lastly, tip number five, hide your data. We can easily get wrapped up in the data flowing from our watches and our bike monitoring, monitoring devices. While this data is indisputably useful for documenting progress and early detection of overtraining, can also override all the other elements of your training if you let it. You may also eventually reach a day where you overdose on your indoor training and lose motivation. So try hiding your data and turn on a Netflix show or pop in a DVD for a change-up. If watching doesn't help you pass the kilometers, find a favorite upbeat CD and you just might discover that riding to the beat keeps your bike boat afloat. For my next top five list, I'll be sharing my top five indoor running tips. For FitSpeak, I'm Mikey Ross. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is Scott. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Scott. And yes, we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether you want to get faster or go farther, TriJoy can help. With our low client-to-coach ratio, we can give you the attention you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. We'd like to thank our guest this week, Vancouver's Purple Tiger, Rach McBride. You can see what Rach has been up to on her Facebook page, also on Instagram. As well, she is a color freak like me, so shades on when you go to Rachel M. CB. Just a reminder, we too are on Facebook, and we're your local go-to spot for information and inspiration. Yes, it's FitSpeak on Facebook, and now at FitSpeak on Instagram. Your place on the internet where you can see what we've been up to, what excites us, and for you to share your story in pictures. 
finally, if you're listening to us on Podbean, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, why not drop by our website to see a little bit more about the program, maybe leave us a comment on the show, or ideas for future programs. For Kevin Watt, Dr. Herr, Roy McBeth, and Mikey Ross, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.